Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about contempt, which is an emotion that I feel pretty frequently and try to manage because I think it's it can be a really destructive um, feeling like socially. Politically, though, I think it has some utility. And so I've been thinking a bunch about contempt as a feeling um, produced by Trump and the Trump administration and also contempt as a feeling in response to Trump and the Trump administration. I'm thinking a lot about the art about Trump, like contempt for him as a body and contempt for him as a voice and the way in which cartoonists really hooked into contempt as a way to animate his person in satire. And so maybe that's a good place to start, Laura, thinking about contempt in this particular political milieu. Yeah. So, I mean, I think contempt was on public display more in the Trump presidency than I've ever seen it just publicly. Like it was the cornerstone of his demagoguery. Contempt is also like the calling card of Fox News and its rhetorical strategy. Like basically they're like all of these people, the liberal elites, they have total contempt for you and you should be mad about it. And you should stop these people from stepping on your rights. That's the whole premise of the evening Fox News lineup, right? Like it's the Tucker Carlson calling card. And I think it is a motivating force for that part of the political spectrum. But it was also interesting to see Trump have contempt for his own base. The story from inside the White House during the insurrection on the 6th was that Trump did not like the insurrection because he thought his supporters looked low class. So like he had contempt, not just as a political motivator, like contempt for immigrants, contempt for women, but also for his own base. So that was really interesting to like read contempt from Trump because it's such a motivating force on that side of the political spectrum, how do Trump supporters read his contempt for them? They don't because I think contempt is really a complicated set of feelings because it often involves like a sense of moral superiority. So I think it short circuits people's brains to think like, oh, look at us. We are producing contempt, right? We are the deplorables. We will do X, Y, and Z. And also then to be like, oh, we're pawns in a much larger scheme of contempt for American democracy or the rule of law or like liberalism or, you know, all of those things that were also targets of Trumpian contempt. But I also think the the left side, certainly liberals, are, are guilty of contempt, too. They just call it righteousness, right? And so it's those are similar, similarly valenced political feelings that get weaponized back and forth. Certainly that's happening over COVID about <laughs> mask wearing and vaccination and horse dewormer. And, right. That whole conversation is wildly charged with contempt as the pandemic, right, rolls on in like whatever month 19 that we're in. I saw this morning that Fauci is like, we could be facing a fifth wave 
if the unvaccinated don't get their shots. So, you know, that seems to me to be telling because I think you're right. Contempt has not animated the public sphere in this way in a really long time. Like certainly Reagan had contempt for immigrants and people of color and AIDS victims. And certainly Nixon had contempt for the rule of law and democracy. And the silent majority is a meme that was produced in a moment of extreme contempt about liberalism. Um, but it does, it did not go this way. This is such a hyper inflected contemptuous moment. And I'm wondering what you think about the way that the contempt, you know, under the Trump administration or even watching Steve Bannon get served subpoenas and the contempt for, right, being compelled to, te to testify under oath. How, like, this atmosphere of contempt reads with, you know, the nascent labor organizing that we're seeing and racial organizing because it is racial contempt and it is sexist contempt and it is generational contempt against the youngs. And it is also coterminous with a bunch of really progressive, leftist, egalitarian discourse as well. Yeah, I like that you mention that contempt has all of these sources, because I do think the fact that there's so much contempt right now has a lot to do with capitalism yeah, shocker um <laughs> contempt i feel like is an intoxicating feeling when you when you as a person don't feel like you're valued or if you feel like you don't have much power or agency i feel like you feel almost validated if you position yourself against another like as the righteous party um i feel like you know, when the culture doesn't really value you, how do you reconcile that in your head? And the way that a lot of people are doing that are by making themselves feel valuable by creating an other that they can feel more morally superior to. And so that they feel like they're a part of something that they are superior and that they have value, innate value that way, because they're not getting valued through how they're compensated. <laughs> They're not getting valued in a culturally relevant way. And it's kind of like a release valve to ameliorate that like lack of value. I think that's right. I, For me, I feel like I indulge in contempt when I'm so disappointed that people do not do the what I feel to be the right thing, that they won't take risks. Like as a professor, I think about it with people who are tenured. And they don't take any political risks to shield people below them or, you know, that they that work under them from abuse of power or they they themselves participate in abuses of power. Like it makes me feel so much rage and contempt. So for me, those two feelings are really close together. And I think that as a political feeling, contempt is a way to steal oneself towards one's values, but also it shuts off, you know, communication. It's very close to stonewalling, like as a strategy of engagement, which is, I think, for me, I'm an over-communicator, so I'm, I'm never stonewalling. I like have more communication to give than basically anybody, but I think that for a lot of people, the contempt short circuits communication 
right? And they stonewall or void. And so the thing doesn't get resolved. And so it becomes this festering sort of political feeling that's that never gets ameliorated through some sort of successful resolution. So in that way, contempt, you know, it ebbs and flows, but it can be a long-term resource for ideology because the grievance never goes away. Like the people never show up and do the right thing or they continue to produce abuse of power or people continue to feel put upon or singled out or whatever it is, right? It can last a long time. The other side of stonewalling though is aggression. And so I think contempt can feed political aggression, like both micro and macro aggressions. It can be a way of, you know, undermining the agency of people, whether it's in the political sphere or the workplace or the home or whatever. What do you think about that? I love that you talk about micro macro aggressions, because I think like when people talk about microaggressions, especially in the workplace, like most of that emotion is contempt. So basically all of the executive training is like teaching executives not to feel contempt for certain races, certain genders, just eliminating that workplace dynamic. I feel like when I'm on the receiving end of contempt, it's been in the workplace a lot. Same. So Super same. having worked in the service industry and also being like overweight, like I feel like <laughs> I just notice contempt a lot um, in, in those situations and in the way that people treat like service workers. I think contempt is like a driving force that like, distances people and like prevents them from having empathy really you know and it validates certain types of you know like in workplaces where leadership knows that they're not really making decisions that are what's best for the organization from the labor standpoint from the worker standpoint um but contempt allows them to like distance themselves in a way that's like, well, you know, I'm doing this because it's, you know, I'm better, you know? And so I think that's why I struggle with contempt because as a poor kid, who's like new to the middle class, I have massive contempt for middle-class politesse and civility as a mask for abuse of power. I mean, it fucking incenses me like from zero to a million. It is the shortest fuse that I have is about the production of white middle-class nonsense as the mask for brutality, or even just petty shit like jealousy or whatever. I mean, there is no faster way to get me to withhold labor of every kind than to produce that kind of aggression, right? Which I think is, we see it as a microaggression, but I think it's just naked aggression actually. You know, and I think that one of the things that I've been thinking a lot in this political moment is how that contempt snowballs to be not just a feeling of contempt by, right, the quote-unquote deplorables or, you know, the liberals who are virtue signaling their vaccines or whatever, but it's the way that the contempt is snowballing against democracy, against consensus building, against the liberation, against science, against public education against shared culture like it the contempt that i think that i find 
most problematic about Trump's legacy as a political sensibility is the contempt for sharing. It is a fundamental political narcissism that I think is doing just truckloads of damage. And I mean, obviously I have ambivalence about democracy as the ideal political forum, but you know, whatever, we're a young nation and we're full of immature political actors, so fine. But like democracy as a way of understanding collective struggle and solidarity is taking a fucking beating right now, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think about the name Black Lives Matter as an organizing movement as like an acknowledgement of like the contempt for centuries black centuries of contempt. Yeah. So that name to me is has a lot of valence because it acknowledges that the bare minimum isn't acknowledged. Black Lives Matter is like basically calling into recognition that there's contempt that persists. I mean, All Lives Matter is a response of contempt to Black Lives Matter, to BLM. So I think that that's absolutely the right read about how racial contempt works. You know, it's hard not to see racial contempt too as part of the COVID conversation, which feels to me like slow moving eugenics, right? Like, not requiring masks, not requiring vaccines is about contempt for poor people who don't have access to a functioning public health care system, but also for people of color who have, you know, higher rates of exposure and response to racial health disparities, and also to people with disabilities, disabled people who are also, while that may or may not be racialized, there is a contempt for um, people with disabilities that I think gets rolled into. I just think about Trump mocking, right? How many people that he mocked, mocked in the campaign that were people of color or were women or were disabled. And the mockery of that as his embodied contempt is what is striking, right? Contrast that to like George W. Bush and his like compassionate conservatism, big tent, hokey, faux cowboy nonsense. They are worlds apart in terms of their affective valence about, right, communities of color or, you know, disabled people or women or whatever. And certainly people who exist at the intersection of multiple, right, identity markers. It's a very different thing. Yeah, I think that kind of contempt kind of clouds, like, the reality. Because contempt is, like, the overriding feeling that, like, prevents you from empathizing with other people. So like, I think about a lot of those contempts are like contempts about people not being a part of productive society or civil society in some way that gets read in these diminishing, like there are, are entire groups of diverse people that get classed as other and then treated as inferior. I think about that in like the conversation around homelessness why don't they get a job? There's a hiring $500 hiring bonus at McDonald's. Any of these people could get a job, but there are like myriad lifestyles that lead to homelessness. There's PTSD. There's literal disability. There are so many things that get coded as one giant. Yeah. As failure. Um, And as a way for people to feel superior without really understanding like what is causing that issue at all and like 
not being able to empathize with each individual that they see. There are any person that you see trying to create a livelihood, there could be so many reasons and you just like, don't consider it at all. But there's also part of it that's like total projection, Mm -hmm. right? When you were talking about the Fox news stuff, that is what made me think a lot about the paranoia that conservatives have about quote unquote liberal education and indoctrination and all of, I mean, all of the garbage arguments they've been circulating for a hundred years to manage their feelings about women and people of color getting access to social utilities and public works. But, you know, I think about how much projection and paranoia is part of the contempt response to democratic deliberation or public utilities or public education and about how that's displacing a lack of cultural competency or a lack of empathy onto the liberals or whatever. And it's just a funhouse mirror effect, right? Like I want to embody the contempt that I'm projecting onto them that they feel for me, which may or may not be the case. Like I will say as somebody who's been in the academy for her entire adult life, Sometimes I wish there was more contempt, but it is contempt is not the overarching feeling that animates higher ed. And insofar as it does, it's contempt against the youth, not against particular political ideologies. And that I laugh about that because generational contempt is a problem, too, but not in the same way that the right makes it out to be. And so that displacement and paranoia, I think create a style of engaging with the other that is where a lot of their aggression is grounded. I think that thinking about contempt that way draws some parallels with like our lean back philosophy. So, you know, we have discussed lean in as a narrative of subordination, right? And Lean back is an assertion of critical distance and contempt is a way to achieve critical distance. But it's dehumanizing. (laughs) Exactly. So we talk about intimacy, plain humor as kind of the pillars of what it means to assert critical distance. And I want to talk about contempt in opposition to those things because (laughs) the creation of otherness when you're asserting yourself as superior is not what lean back is about. And I think sometimes those emotions can get conflated because I do think anger is a part of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Like disappointment is a part of intimacy. Right. right? Yeah. So there are emotions that I think are useful. Um, and there are critical distances that I think are necessary. Um, but I want to talk about contempt as anti intimacy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's an easier sell for me on an interpersonal level, but not politically. When I think about Bannon or Trump, and I think about the contempt that they produce and how destructive it is, I don't think contempt is the right political feeling to marshal against them. But I understand in an emotionally impoverished culture like the one that we live in, why contempt is the response to contempt, right? In terms of both the relationship that contempt has to smell as an olfactory feeling you know it is a recoiling of distaste right it's smell and taste together contempt and i think that we don't have an emotional vocabulary to manage the kind of destructive 
power, that political contempt when it's directed, you know, by neo-Nazis. Uh, I, it's hard to create space for empathy. One place that I think it was successful is thinking about the, in terms talking about Trump's embodied contempt, the backlash against the exaggerated fatness that was used to shame him for his contempt, which I found revolting, like as a strategy, even though I understand the history of physical satire, you know, as it was caricature in France, and we can talk about that as a history of embodied protest of the working poor and what have you, you know, fat shaming Trump is not the way to undermine the power of his political contempt in the way that it was undermining democracy. I think too about like just the abusive life that he grew up under and like the totalitarian family style and the erasure of his mother and the physical abuse in his household. All of those things are true and can provide like a read on him, but it's, but, but all of, and rehumanize him in a way, but the political contempt that he produced and the way that it is undermining things is a hard thing to come to terms with unless you can potentially see it as a transitional period into something that's more egalitarian. And so, you know, I'm not super into hope, but as a thought experiment, it is worthwhile thinking about what the contempt produced by this kind of resurgent fascism is doing to reorient the public towards hope and shared struggle and play and, you know, intimacy. Um, because I, I agree with you that, you know, we are not trying to produce contempt. I think we're trying to create a reparative reading of politics, right? That repairs our relationship to some of these things rather than double down on the paranoid reading that men are out to get us or the culture is so broken we can never escape or, you know, reproducing the kind of paranoia that's embedded into a regime of contempt that is focused on dismantling a pluralistic democracy. That's why I do think this exercise, like our conversations are important and why like labeling I just feel like feminists do get labeled as like contemptuous in some ways. And I think it's important to have conversations like these to like think through exercises that how do we match like the political contempt that we're seeing with like a different kind of, because obviously meeting contempt with contempt on the other side is, has been toxic. You know, I feel like it's toxic Call out culture is contempt. It's not good. You can't build movements based on call out culture. That's not to say that you can't critique behavior or you can't intervene in behavior, but call out culture as like a way of policing inside of spaces is a total failure. But accountability is important. Completely. So it's like how... How do you frame the conversation with an empathetic read, but that still requires accountability you have to do it through vulnerability and honesty you know i mean this is happening with Chappelle right now about his most recent stand-up which it honestly is just a regurgitation of the two previous shows and it's i think mostly lazy comedy and also he's working out a bunch of feelings about how he got pilloried for saying some anti-trans stuff so okay well, that is what it is the bigger deal to me is netflix firing 
you know, the folks who internal to Netflix are trying to push for pro-LGBTQ and especially pro-trans policies. And the fact that Netflix doubled down and fired their worker who was leaking internals about the backlash to Chappelle's, you know, trans stuff is more about Netflix than it is about Chappelle, right? But Chappelle wasn't canceled. (laughs) Chappelle's not going to get canceled. It's not even close to that. And it seems like a case study for contempt, both Chappelle's contempt for the public weighing in on his public stand-up and the public's contempt for him talking about the gendering of whiteness, which is an important conversation to have, even if Chappelle is not necessarily in the best place to make the case for why the gendering of whiteness is a problem, inclusive of LGBTQ people. And I'm giving his argument perhaps more weight than it should have, but, you know, in the spirit spirit of a generous read, which is the opposite of contempt, we offer a more generous assessment, you know, than what perhaps is being articulated on the table. And I think generosity is one of the antidotes that Lean Back brings, right, to politics as an ameliorative to contempt. It's interesting that you discuss Dave Chappelle because... I think comedy in general uses contempt as a motivating force behind Mm -hmm. some bits. Laughing at the expense of other people is like a key component to a lot of people's acts. Yeah. So like a lot of humor is built around contempt. So then how do you make generosity funny and what other types of comedy are possible when you exclude contempt as the lens so that's interesting because Chappelle never does self-effacing comedy never and I don't know that I blame him as a black dude for not participating in that particular genre which I think is vulnerable and interesting like Sarah Silverman does women do self-effacing comedy because if they don't they get called shrewd feminists right so they don't do the same kind of contempt unless it's adjacent to their own life right they have contempt for the self Chappelle never does that and I, the, and I think hetero cis hetero male comics do not generally do self-effacing the ones who do I think get revered right in cult circles for producing that kind of alt masculinity but it's not it's not common but I think self-effacing stuff you know is a reparative to contempt as the motivator for the punchline. So I think about it like as Howard Stern versus yeah. like Mark Marin, you yeah, know? So, and both of them get intimacy, but in different ways. Like the Stern way is like an exclusionary, like laughing with the boys, you know? Hypersexualized. <laughs> right. Which like is a form of comedy that has been popular and. I mean, that is like the dominant form of comedy. So to have like a Mark Maron who is self-effacing and who has like built this alternative podcast with like conversations that go in a different direction (laughs) than. Okay. But also Ted Lasso is anti-contempt. Anthony Bourdain, anti-contempt. So uh, there is a a way in which contempt is hyper-masculine and also gets displaced onto the feminine. Right. And that's Chappelle's thing. That's why people are put. They don't like the weaponizing of Chappelle's contempt. 
insofar as it figures trans people and trans women in particular. So, you know, I, I do think that it's worth thinking about how contempt marshals fascism and exclusion and racism and sexism and homophobia and anti-trans sentiment, because I do think that, you know, that fascists successfully employ contempt as the affective drive of their ideological politics. And I think that the fact that people are responding to Chappelle is also probably racist, <laughs> right? So the fact that it's a black man doing it instead of a Bannon or Trump, and part of it is they're disgusted at him and they're disappointed in him because his stand-up was not great. It was not a great special, even if there were parts of it that could have been really transformative. So I'm not mad that they're disappointed in him or any of that stuff, but it is impossible to read that situation without thinking through his race, for sure, as something that is catalyzing just this stew of contempt that is producing white fascism in the moment. You know, it's just more complicated than he's saying anti-trans stuff, I think. You know, whether that should be the, the argument that wins the day about how we remember this, what I thought was a really weak stand-up special or not, whatever, I'm not invested in the memory or like the history of the conversation but I do think that Chappelle is clearly grappling, you know, with gender and gendered whiteness. And that's not incidental to the conversation, but the white people who are pillaring him maybe can't see that. And the lazy trans arguments undermine the potential utility of that political critique. And I just don't know that he's the one who should be making it. I don't think he's savvy enough to be making it well where it can be heard above the clamor. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a useful space for conversation, but it's again about how do we take an empathetic read and use the learn from this as a culture and how does it make him a better stand up and how does it us better viewers of stand up? How does it make us spend money on comedians who are more creative and progressive and how do we consume netflix in a way that offers accountability yes i think that's the at, at the end of the day where is the accountability for new streaming services as a form of new media and one that people are binging on which is a relation to capital like production and consumption that is pretty new in the media ecology um that i think is a larger scale question and i and i we're not prepared to answer it yet because it's too new. But I do think that the way in which contempt is marshaled in the stand-up comedy uh, of Mrs. Hetman is a non-negligible factor. It's a different thing than Gatsby. I would say that, you know, Netflix offering Hannah Gatsby is the corrective to Dave Chappelle and Hannah's response being, well, fuck you, was right on, right? Because the reparative reading is not like, here's a queer uh, and a lesbian queer at that. The reparative is like, how did the contempt get weaponized in a way that was perhaps not the best articulation? It's it's weird to like place the onus of responsibility on organizations like streaming services to uh, control messaging, you know? So like, it's interesting to think about, you know, Ted Lasso as being an anti-contempt narrative, but then it's on the same network as the morning show which is like a 
contempt is the driving force all of that show. So contempt <laughs> is not a path out. Yeah. It's just a short term release of steam. And insofar as it's harm- harnessed in the function of an authoritarian worldview, it is fundamentally destructive. I mean, and its potential is destructive. That's why it feels self-indulgent to lean into it. So, yeah, I think for us, as as with Lean Back being our guiding right force, contempt is not a feeling that we really want to lean into because it its promise is destruction. I mean, it is just scorched earth. It's a scorched earth feeling. And it is the feeling of um, total permanent marginalization that has to destroy everything in its path. So I don't think it's contempt is a healthy political feeling, you know, even as I understand why it becomes important politically or in comedy or in storytelling as a way of expressing so much, somewhat ineffable feelings because the culture is, has such a paucity of emotional discourse. 